Okay, welcome to another edition of the Cultural Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, today, I have Desi Girl from California. Uh, Desi is a mental health advocate. She's a podcaster as well, and she lives in Orange County, California. What's going on, Desi? Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Um, just nothing less enjoying the semi-tropical weather here in California. Right, right, right. How far do we have fires again this year? I think I think so in some parts of California, right? Yeah, in Northern California, not on my side. Usually it's on my side of California, but this year it's in NorCal. Yeah, yeah. I know we had some fog. I live in Denver, Colorado, by the way. So I know we had some stuff in the air and they were like, it might be like wildfire fires blowing over from like all the way from California to Denver. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's a long way, but it's all good though. So is everyone like kind of like sensitized now, like during the summer or towards the tail end of summer, everyone just expects there to be some kind of thing going on in the state as regards fire uh, wildfires and stuff i would say so yeah um you know i was just talking to a friend i'm like dang we haven't had any fires this year um usually when there is a fire um they shut down everything and we're pretty much stuck at home so i was like dang this year we didn't have a fire day right 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 interesting fire day that's i've heard that one before i've heard a snow day <laughs> but but a fire day, that's interesting. And it's, tell me something. So you live in Orange County, right? Is that the same county that the, the show, the OC, was modeled after? Yeah, it actually is. Um, I live about an hour away from where it was filmed. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, and it's like, I mean, I'm, I don't want to burst any, anybody's bubbles, but it's literally that entire show is filmed on a strip of Laguna Beach. And that's it. How close is it to reality? Because you hear about like Orange County, you hear about people who grew up in California. It's like, you know, people have a certain image, you know, but how close would you say the OC is to actually like real life in Orange County? It's it's not even reality. Um, we are not allowed to go to the beach uh, during our lunch break. We don't have those, um, you know, drama of like, oh, I'm just going to ditch class and go to the beach or I'm going to go down to town and sneak into a club. It's not accurate at all. Um, I don't know how many times I've gotten people like outside of California asking me like, oh, you're from the OC, so lucky. Like you live like that, you know, cool life. And I was like, no, that's not what the OC right. is at I all. mean, is that particular to you or would you say that's general? Because you have immigrant parents, so maybe your parents... Uh, kind of like raised you with a little bit of more discipline or something? Um, no, it's because I went to school. So this high school that they filmed on, that high school um, like played sports with my high school a lot. And no, it, it, I mean, you could ask anybody, like even a lot of my like Caucasian friends um, and friends who had less stricter parents, like it, it's not accurately portrayed. We didn't even, we weren't allowed to dress like that either. That was dress code. We would get in trouble for dressing the way that they did in that show. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's touch about, let's touch on growing up a little bit. So you call yourself Desi girl. Um, I, I have a lot of, you know, um, Southeast Asian in, Indian friends, you know, friends from the whole region. And from what I understand, Desi is uh, kind of like a term used primarily by Indians who are either born outside of India, maybe most times in the United States. So pretty much Indians in the diaspora. Would you say that's an accurate kind of description of the word Desi? 
Yes, it is. Okay, so now now here comes my question. Like, why do you think it was important to own that narrative by naming yourself like Desi Gill? What particular experiences did you have growing up uh, in two cultures, like your Indian culture and your American culture, that made you want to own that name exactly? Um. So, um, do you know Priyanka Chopra? I do, the actress. Yes. Okay. So back in like I want to say like 2008, she had a movie that came out called Dostana, which means friendship, and there was a song called Desi Girl. And um, just like my family kind of started calling me that. And that was like my nickname, per se. So when we started Silent Warrior Chronicles, my business partner's like, well, what should we call ourselves? And she had her, you know, name, her gaming name, but I had no name. And I'm like, oh, we could use my nickname, DC Girl. So that's actually kind of how my name came about. But with Silent Warrior Chronicles, um, I started chatting more about being from a background of dual culture. Um, even though I'm born and raised here in the state, um, my parents were not. And so I was not only raised in the American culture, but also in the South Asian culture, which is what my parents were um, born and raised in. So it, the, my pseudonyme defines me perfectly. This is that Indian, um, you know, born outside of India and girl is American, right? Um, so it kind of, without really knowing it, kind of, um, encompassed me, but I didn't mean to do it that way. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Wait, is it pronounced Daisy or Desi? Um, Daisy. Daisy. Oh, I've been pronouncing it wrong. I said Desi. My apologize. Daisy. No okay. worries. There we go. All right. Talk to me about your parents. Like, you know, obviously we have a lot of Indian uh, immigrants here in the U.S. and all over the world. Like, what's the story of your parents? Like, when when did they come to the States? Did they settle in California? Uh, how was it like growing up for you in particular? Um, so yeah, so they moved here, um, I want to say like the late 80s. Um, and so, you know, they got married in India because you're not allowed to leave your parents home until you're married. So they got married. Oh, really? Is that a thing? Yeah, it is. And I'm going to touch a little bit on that um, later on. But yeah, so uh, a Indian girl cannot leave her home before marriage. Oh, a girl, not a guy. No, a guy can do whatever they want. Girls oh, are the it. only ones that have some rules and regulations. <laughs> Got it. Um, but yeah, so they moved here um, and they immigrated to Orange County. So I've never lived outside of those. See. Um, and so they moved here. I guess Orange County was more affordable back then. <laughs> and so, so, you know, they moved here, had me a few years later. Um, and then I have four other siblings that they had afterwards. So I'm the oldest. Um, and I would say... Growing up, it was very different than a lot of my friends. I, I went to school in an area which is not very diverse, per se. So I was one of the few brown people in my school. And, you know, I remember when I was really young, like I was a tomboyish. Um, and so I remember I would ha I had like that pixie cut um, and I wore like, just boots. I didn't really like have that girly style to me. And I remember being made fun of. And, you know, I'd come home to my parents and be like, hey, you know, people are making fun of me. Why don't I look like, you know, my dolls that are just all pretty and heels and all that. And, you know, my parents really um, focused on tunnel vision and said, just focus on your studies. Like, eventually this one will matter to you. That must have been hard to understand as a little girl, even though they were right. Like, but you were like, why don't they understand? Kind of like, did it seem like they weren't like um, taking the, the issue as seriously as you would have hoped for? 
No. Um, and I, I mean, it was really hard because I would try to understand, like, but I was like, do you understand that people are making fun of me? I mean, I got pushed on the playground. Um, you know, things, people would call me really mean names and I would, you know, tell my teachers, I would tell the principal, I would tell the, you know, the yard person, you know, I would tell everyone and anyone and everybody just kept saying, well, you know, kids are going to be kids. But, you know, my parents were just like, focus on, you know, getting out of here, going to middle school, going to high school, college, and then none of this will matter and they'll be working for you one day. Oh, they actually told you they'll be working for you one day. It sounds (laughs) sounds like immigrant parents, right? Go ahead. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like like seven years old. I'm like, well, that's not for a while. So, you know, I don't know how long I could do this for. And, you know, I kind of encompass that girly style, I guess you could say. But, you know, every little thing was like, well, why don't you get your eyebrows done? Like, I'm a very furry person. And so Indian girls are just furry. And so I wasn't allowed to really do I guess, beauty until I was like in high school. So from middle school or elementary to middle school, like I got made fun of because I had a unibrow and I had like this mustache on my face. Wait, do, do, middle, do middle schoolers in America like wear makeup and stuff? Is that allowed? I don't even know. Yeah, they do. I mean, I remember. Yeah. So I remember in sixth grade, like my friends from fifth grade were already rocking full glam. Interesting. And the schools allow that? I never knew that. They they don't allow it. Um, I, I just think that you figure it out. Like I remember they would come plain face when they were dropped off at school. And then somehow between first period to second period, they went from plain Jane to the Kardashians. <laughs> Interesting. That young. OK, go ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, of course I saw that I was dancing at the time. So, you know, I did get my glam moment and I didn't really care for makeup. Like that was something I never really cared for. I was more of like, just get lip gloss and call it a day. And my hair was always in a messy bun, sweatshirt and jeans. Like I have just never been that type of girl that dresses up for school. And I was like, dude, we're at school. I don't know why we're dressing up. But anyway, um, but see, that's that culture. I guess that's the American culture that you dress up in full glam. And, you know, you talk about the newest like um, American Eagle skirt you got or whatever. And I never really understood that because I didn't do that. You know, my life outside of school was tennis, dance and school. Um, And so that was a struggle that I dealt with because, you know, girls and guys would be like, hey, like, you know, we're having a pool party this weekend. Do you want to come? Well, I wasn't allowed to go. And so eventually people stopped asking me. And I was that girl that was never allowed to hang out outside of school. I was the girl that didn't have the, you know, the newest, latest attire. Um, I know back then is when like um, iPods came out. I didn't have an iPod. I didn't have a cell phone. Um, And it was, you know, because my parents were like, well, why would you need a phone? You're only in sixth, seventh grade. What's the point? Like, you don't drive. I don't need to get a hold of you. I know where you are for eight hours. And so, you know, eventually I did get a cell phone, like literally right before I graduated eighth grade. But again, it was limited to just calling my parents. I wasn't, I didn't have texting. I didn't have, you know, long, lavish talk sessions with my friends on my cell phone. I literally, I couldn't pass out my phone number to my friends because again, my phone was very limited to just my parents. What did your parents do? Um, So my mom works in insurance and my dad um, manages a printing company. He manages a printing company, works in insurance. Okay. So this pretty, I guess I'll classify kind of like middle-class immigrant family. What types of uh, cultures and traditions did you participate in like while growing up? Like did they, were you guys active in like say the local Southeast Asian or Indian community in Orange County? Did you guys like have like uh, religious uh, 
dates you observed and how did that tie into, did you ever have to explain any of that to like your friends or, or people you knew in the neighborhood? Oh yes, definitely. Um, so like I said, I was in dance. So I was initially in classical Indian dance, which is Bharatnatyam. Um, Sorry, what was that? Bharatnatyam. Bharatnatyam. Got it. And that's okay. Indian classical dance. Um, I did that for, I want to say, I did it all of elementary and I think part of middle school. And um, because I was in dance class and my, you know, all the girls in my class were Indian, we all like were obsessed with Bollywood movies. And so I actually never really watched American movies or shows. I was very up to date on Indian shows, movies, everything, gossip. Nice. Um, Who was your favorite actor growing up? Shah Rukh Khan. Oh, that's that's a cheat. That's everyone's favorite actor. He's like the most popular <laughs> guy out there. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Yes, I remember. I mean, it, I grew up with him, and so my expectations of relationships are a little blur because you know, <laughs> that's funny. guys have a lot to live up to. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I did. I didn't really watch any American shows, and so when you know Indian holidays happen, like I went full fledged. Like I was like, oh, it's Holi and it's Diwali and it's you know Garba season. And you know my friends or I guess friends would say like, well, what's that? And I would explain it to them, but they'd be like, well, you know, there's this really cool party down the street this weekend, or hey, you know, it's homecoming week. And I would miss out, I guess, on milestones because I I was essentially. Ch- expected to choose like I had two two different personalities essentially because it was the Indian side to me and then there was the American side to me and I could never just mesh them together because if I meshed them together it got really messy for me right you know what I would think like cultures like I would say the Asian culture like I would say maybe Chinese culture Indian culture out like one would think this is from my very limited immigrant perspective right that those cultures have already become so widespread and commonplace in the US like we have Indian restaurants everywhere like everyone does yoga uh, you know Chinese culture Chinatowns everywhere I'll imagine like you know Indians have been coming to the US for more than 50 years I would imagine so I'll think that a lot of people are more in tune with some of these cultures, but maybe people don't necessarily, well, they love the food and some of the practices, but they pick and choose and don't necessarily, you know, care enough to understand like some of those cultures and they can just invite you to a party. Would you say that was the case or because maybe everyone was just in middle school and they they didn't just reach that maturity level? Do you still go through that like now where people have no clue about what you're talking about? things as popular as Diwali or, you know, don't even know what a sari is called or things like that. Do you still experience that like among your peers today? Oh, no, it's like the total opposite, like 360 for me. Now everybody's like, oh, you know, I saw on the calendar, Diwali's coming up. Um, Any fun plans? Like, I love your attire. Can you tell me a little bit more what that jewelry is? And it's, it's a complete 360. Nice, nice. Okay, so that, I guess you know that was just like maybe earlier times uh, growing up, that kind of thing. Um, so, so you went through all that. Uh, you had this, you know, we call it like code switching in my community. Like you're you're one person at home, even though I wasn't born here in the U.S. Like when you're interacting with like the Nigerian community or the African community or whatever, like this person, and when you interact with you know Americans or you know Caucasians, you're like you're another person, kind of thing. Did you ever have to do that? Oh, yes. Um, I think it really started to amplify for me was in high school and early college because I, you know, I so badly wanted to fit in and that was just not going to happen because, you know, my parents didn't let me do a lot of the things that other kids 
engaged in. Um, and so I, I struggled like every day was like, okay, I go to school and I'm one person, I go home, I'm another person. And, you know, once I graduated high school, went to college and kind of, you know, was like exploring, like, what do I want to major in? What do I want to, you know, do with my life? I just realized how exhausted I was from playing two different people. And I really didn't know who I was as a person. No, I was, I was going to ask, like, tying to what you do now, like what you do with the podcast and the platform, you know, talking about mental health. W- would you say some of those issues were rooted in those experiences, like growing up with how you're trying to heal today? Oh, most definitely. So I'm a clinical social worker by trait. So I went into mental health because I wanted to figure out what in the world was happening with me. And so when I took my behavioral psych classes and I realized these these fears, this reminiscence that I do all day, um, being preoccupied with my thoughts was anxiety. I realized that, okay, if I'm going through this, how many other South Asian uh, men and women are going through this? How many other immigrant children who've had to practice that dual culture? Yes, all of them. And so, and it's not talked about, you know, I remember in all my psych classes, this was never a topic talked about. It was always like, well, this person had some form of trauma as a child. So that's what led to this. But it's never like, well, this person came from a dual culture and had to practice the dual culture or, hey, you know, they, their culture doesn't really um, condone mental health. I know in the South Asian culture, mental health is a, you know, hush, hush situation, you know, we'll, We'll do some rituals and call it a day and the evil spirit will leave you. Like, and that's not the reality, right? Because I, I, and I've seen it working in a psychiatric unit. I've seen a lot of South Asian, um, a lot of Asian Latina um, families do these lavish rituals in hopes that this evil spirit will leave their loved one. And they're so disappointed when it doesn't happen. And explaining to them, um, especially in the South Asian culture, um, you know, the big thing I get is, well, why aren't you a doctor? Why are you a social worker? <laughs> why are you a doctor? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, didn't cut the, you know, I wasn't cut from that cloth, I guess. But, you know, I'm here to help someone. And I try to explain to them that, yeah, so this person's a doctor. So what? They're here. They're not doing well. They're still human at the end of the day. And that, you know, you're, you're. Um, career doesn't dictate if you're successful or not. And I know that's a huge thing in my culture. I'm not sure about yours, but if you're not a high end person working, a doctor, a lawyer, a business person, then you are a failure at life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost similar, although things that have really changed since when I was growing up. So most Nigerian households, it was like you either become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer or a disgrace kind of thing, you know, but, you know, a typical Niger- Nigerian society is like for the love of money. Right. So when they started seeing like these Nigerian soccer players making thousands of pounds a week playing for the Premier League or Nigerian musicians, you know, earning a lot of money, then the parents were like, oh, I guess you can do music you can kick a ball right you know kind of thing so um that was very interesting to see but you know what always intrigues me about you know this whole conversation about mental health you know our generation seems to be doing a lot better in you know being in tune with our emotions uh taking cognizant of what exactly it is we're going through trying to define what it is compared to our parents generation but what can we do for our parents and, you know, the older people, particularly immigrants to understand, like, have you ever had some of those conversations with either your parents or older pe- people in your family, or maybe just generally older people to try to explain to them that, hey, this is a specific thing that's either going on with me or that's going on with my sibling or that's going on with your child that you need to pay attention to. And how is that reaction? So um, with me, it's just been shut down. Like I've never really had a full conversation. It's just been nope no, don't want to hear about it. Like you're successful. Let's just focus on that. Let's not focus on whatever else is happening with you. 
um, with educating um, with clients or now on Silent Warrior Chronicles, I've I've had a pretty good um, experience. Like most parents are very understanding, like, oh, that makes sense. But again, I know their child has explained this to them a million times, but because a complete stranger who has that little fine label that says clinical social worker says it, it must be true. And that's that's the issue that we need to address because if your child is telling you something, hey, you know, I'm being bullied at school or hey, you know, there are days that I just can't get out of bed. We as parents, like they need to hear that. They need to be like, OK, so talk to me. How long have you been experiencing this? And something I hear from a lot of immigrant parents is, well, but we were never taught that or, you know, our parents didn't do that or, you know, we had a much harder life than you did. And you know, yes, it could, you know, I was not alive back then, so I don't know if it was difficult or not, but... Hey, it definitely was. <laughs> like, whether we're alive or not, but go ahead. Right, but I think there's this cultural norm of, well, our, our struggles were far worse than your struggles, and we need to stop making it into a competition. Everyone's struggle is a struggle. Everyone has those days where they have bad days where they just want to give up, and we need to accept that and say, okay, how can I help? I'm here for you. What do you need from me? And less of, well, back in my day, we didn't do this, blah, 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 blah. Like, I think that diminishes the value and make that individual not want to come to you and be open with you and say, hey, I'm struggling. Fact, fact. Like, it closes that person off. Like, you know, you might not understand how to solve the problem, but acknowledging the problem makes that person feel seen, makes that person feel heard. And that's definitely something like not just immigrant parents, like human beings in general can definitely learn from. Uh, as far as the this, this struggle Olympics, man, that's something that's been going on from the from the dawn of time, I don't know how we can how we can solve that one. But let me ask you this. So some people like speaking from experience that I can see that some older people I interact with, they are not all the way there. They understand that, OK, you know what, that these kids or this generation or whatnot, like these guys are more in tune. They're doing something right by acknowledging all this stuff, by, you know, talking about taking their mental health seriously, doing all this stuff. But where they kind of like give up is when they have, you know, they, the issue like uh, Naomi Osaka, you know, is in the news and like, you know, I'm, you know, pulling out of a tournament because of mental health, Simone Biles, you know, things like that. They were like, look, I, you know, some people might say, hey, you know, I understand and the need for it. But, you know, I wasn't ready to be a parent. I had to push through. Like, I didn't want to go to work. I had to push through that. Like, where do we draw that line and say, you know what, things are not always going to be perfect and the way you want it to be that in as much as you try to be healthy mentally, you, you have to push through sometimes. Like, when when is it advisable to do that? And when would you say it's okay to get to that point and say, you, you know what, for now, I feel like I don't feel right, but I just have to push through this or should we even do that that's a really hard question because I I'm you know thinking and as you were talking I was just thinking about like you know my life experiences and it it's hard because each person's um struggle thermometer per se is different right like what to you may be easy peasy to me may be very difficult and and so one thing that I try to be cautious of is when I say that, oh, look, I've had a really hard day. I'm always cautious of the other person. And, you know, if they're like, oh, I had a really rough day. And I know in my mind, I'm like, dude, you didn't even like have to deal with people throwing poop at you. You didn't have people screaming at you, hoping you die. Like, you know, you literally sat in a cubicle all day today and calculated numbers. How in the world did you have a hard day? But Again, their heart, I don't know what their hard day is. I don't know their threshold and they don't know my threshold. So I try to be cautious and say, you know, 
wow, you've had a really hard day. Like, what can I do to help you? What do you need from me? Maybe you need to take a mental day. I try to be compassionate and I tell everyone just be compassionate because you will never go wrong if you ride with compassion. Fact, fact. It's all about human interaction, empathy, and things like that. And not just, you know, dismissing uh, people's feelings. Like, we all speak English, but why is it so hard for human beings to communicate? I, I never understood it. Like, if I say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you understand what that is. But the perception of A, B, C, D, E, F, G might mean something entirely different. Like, maybe it's our lived experiences. I don't know. Like, how can human beings communicate better about something as important? as uh, mental health what are some tips i mean someone so i'm going to talk from both like the personal and professional side so from the professional side what i see is people listen to professionals i guess more than just a normal person um i don't know if that shiny little title does anything but just hear the person out do your research don't believe what the media portrays things um from the professional or from the personal side of things it's be compassionate like like you said like we speak the same language we know the same vocabulary words we have the same definition of words yet why do we struggle so much and i i don't know if it's a cultural thing like being you know a child of an immigrant does that give me more of a threshold of dealing with struggles and hurdles compared to someone who may not be child a, ch a child of an immigrant I don't know really but I do know that I I've noticed there's there's a group of people who have a sense of like entitlement or superiority and I think that's where that issue lies if we can demolish that thinking and remind everyone we all are human beings we just look different but we're all the same like the way i explain it to people is like well not every orange looks the same right there's some sort of difference in each orange you'll see but it's an orange at the end of the day that's interesting i never thought about it that way ego you know superiority whatever that is you know i guess that's human means like we compete with fashion we compete in school we compete with finances maybe we compete on a psychological level that oh you shouldn't I'm stronger than you mentally. Like I can go through this. You cannot or something. I don't know, but it's weird. Okay. Let's, let's talk about your podcast. I don't even know if I can call it a podcast, you know, uh, the silent warrior chronicles is more like a community. Cause you guys have like, you know, a website, you know, with resources, uh, you know, you have social media, you have all these things you do. You also have a podcast, obviously, but everything centered on mental health. Let me ask you, obviously you do it with your co-host lady DMC. Uh, but why did you guys choose to name it the silent warrior chronicles? What's the significance of that name? Um, well, thank you for asking that. Um, we've never been asked that question. So we actually, we were called Mental Diaries way back when. And um, for some legal reasons, we weren't able to call it that anymore. So we had to change the name. And when Lady DMC and I sat down to think of this new name, we were like, well, what should we call ourselves? And I would say it took us a very long time to find this name, but we were silent warriors. We call all of our followers warriors because everyone's a warrior in some shape, form. and we were silent because of our culture. We were not allowed to say, hey, I have anxiety. I sit there all day thinking that I'm going to pee in my seat because my teacher's not going to see me and I'm not going to be able to go to the bathroom and make it on time. Or people bully me because I wear glasses and I have astigmatism and these kids are being ruthless with me where to the point I have dark thoughts now. And, you know, both of us had parents, we're both um, children of immigrants, and both of us were told tunnel vision, keep the blinders on and power through. And so 
when when we thought of the name we thought we were both silent warriors until very recently um she she had to put her foot down and say hey look i'm not doing this anymore i need help i need medication i need therapy and i actually became a mental health worker to figure out what in the world is happening to me and what am i going to do and how am i going to fix myself so that's where the silent warrior comes in and the chronicles is we share our personal stories and we share other warriors stories as well so that's how the name came about Nice, nice. And how how has that gone well? Like I don't know what your uh your co-host lady DMC's um heritage is or, or culture is, but how did that play to your immigrant family? Because I come from and I, I imagine it would be like similar to you as well, where you don't talk about your struggles, you don't bring out your dirty laundry into the public. Like if you're having something as public as a podcast talking about something as forbidden as uh uh mental health, like how does that play like within your family? or do they actually use the podcast to understand you better, members of your family? Oh gosh, no, they don't listen to the podcast or read our blog. Um, they, It was very hard because they were like, well, what do you talk about on there? Like, you haven't gone anything. You know, you live in the OC, you've been born and raised in the most affluent part of America. Like, what, what are you talking about on there? Like, what struggles have you gone through? And you know, I kind of just said, well, I talk about mental health and, you know, I work in the field too. So I have a lot of, I guess, stories to share, but I also realize that we all have a mental illness. I always tell people just like in Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter says, we're all mad here. We all have something. I, when someone tells me, oh, I don't have a mental illness. I was like, BS, you do. Give me an hour with you. I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> We all have something wrong with us. We all have a mental illness. Some of us have it more prevalent than others. But yeah, my family, I mean, they're supportive. They just, they're not very supportive about me sharing my life story. Right, right. And is that something that's important to you? Like, hey, you know, um, would you rather, are you just okay not facing that resistance from people you love or you rather have them all the way support you in whatever it is you do like how does that play to your personal mental health as well um it does it plays a huge role because with the blog it was a lot easier to control what we talked about whereas with the podcast when lady dmc and i do podcast we we typically try to keep it as free as possible um kind of like two girlfriends talking and oftentimes things that we promise each other we would never ever talk about comes out in the podcast um i know for her one thing that she didn't feel comfortable talking about was her medication therapy um and how she just quit her medication one day like without talking to her therapist or nothing um so for her it was the medication therapy for me was my sexual assault like i didn't want to ever talk about it and it literally came out one day during an episode and we made it into a whole episode but that was something I was very ashamed of. And I know this was something I was never supposed to talk about because it will bring, you know, shame to the family and what are people going to think? And, you know, we've kept it on a DL for so long. Why would you go out and, you know, tell someone? And to me, it, I felt very dirty after that episode. And I was like, darn it, like now everybody's going to know what are people going to think of me? And I, we got a lot of positive feedback, but we also got a lot of hate mail. Like I got a lot of South Asian followers telling me like, why would you tell people that? Why are you blasting that? Why are you profiting off of that story? And that hurt me because, you know, I my goal to share my stories is to help another kid 
who's gone through what I've gone through and make them feel like they're not alone in this world. And I know that's very cliche to say, but, you know, there's just so much red tape everywhere where, you know, people are like, oh, I'll share you my life story, but, you know, we got to keep it on the DL. Nobody can know. Or, you know, I'll be there for you, but when we're out on the, you know, core, you don't know me and I don't know you. And so I want this place to be a place where someone can come listen or read and be like, oh my gosh, like Daisy girl would be my best friend or lady DMC gets me. She understands what I'm going through and I'm not weird. I'm not, you know, abnormal or, you know, not worthy of being a friend or a wife or a husband or whatever. Both of her, she's married, I'm engaged, but you know, you know, she got married in the midst of us doing SWC. And that was another person that she was like, well, do you feel comfortable me talking about, you know, certain topics? And I know she's expressed that sometimes her husband doesn't want her talking about certain things. Or, you know, my fiance is like, well, I don't want you talking about that. I don't want people knowing because his family listens to my podcast or reads my blog. And it, it makes you feel trapped because it's like, are you ashamed of this? Like, what if this could help someone? I mean, sometimes it's from a place of love, right? It's not like, so, I mean, sometimes you're definitely ashamed of it, I would, I would say, but sometimes also like from a place of love that they understand the hate, like you said yourself, that you get if you put that out and they don't want to see you go through that because they're going to be the ones to catch you when you go through all that stuff, you know, but sometimes it's also necessary for the healing process to kind of like communicate that. But, you know, it's just like a interesting balance, I would say, of, you know, how to share what to share, when to share, with whom to share, and what you do after that to protect yourself from what's going to come kind of thing. So um, it's definitely like, you know, we definitely don't have all the answers, but it's good that we're having conversations like this. Uh, obviously, people listening to my podcast, uh, primarily a whole bunch of Africans and people from all over the world can connect with you because mental health is kind of like universal. Um, I also love how you guys come from two different perspectives, you and uh, Lady DMC, like one person is like all professional and you know talking about clinical stuff and another person is kind of like talking about oh you know this is how i feel like personal things so was that very deliberate or you guys just found yourself being friends and it just happened like that um so it was kind of deliberate and kind of not so we started this venture mid last year, early mid last year. And she approached me and saying, Hey, you work in the mental health field. I was wondering if you would want to join me on uh, the blog. And so we didn't really think anything of it. I didn't, I was working 12 hour shifts at that time. And I'm like, I don't know if I could even commit to something like this. Um, And so we, we started with just me giving pure professional um, information and her giving her more her personal side. And then just one day out of the blue, I started sharing more personal things and I shared how my pers- how I've healed myself through my professional um, knowledge. And she talks about how she healed herself, learning from her, you know, from us being friends and um, just doing research, Googling what anxiety and depression is, Googling like, hey, who do I call if I do have suicidal thoughts? And it kind of just metamorphosized from that. Like now, now we share both the professional and the personal side of things. Nice, nice. I always like to kind of like get practical tips from anyone I talk to, you know, someone that can help a listener, uh, something that can help a listener, kind of like low hanging fruit that someone can start on on your journey. Say someone who's listening to this, let's pick two very popular conditions out there. We'll say anxiety and we'll say um, depression, right? A lot of, especially, you know, post pandemic, a lot of people have anxiety. A lot of people suffer from depression. 
depression? What are two practical ways, like, even though everyone is unique, but kind of like, what are two practical ways you think, like, someone who's listening to this can, what steps can they take? Uh, and, and I'm talking like an action, a specific action that can help them in their journey to deal with their anxiety or depression. Um, the first one I say is take time out. If you you can you know your body, you know your mind, you know you better than anyone else in this world. And if you say, look, I'm I'm slowly spiraling, I know I'm losing who I am, take a timeout. And if a timeout means, hey, I'm calling off work for the rest of the week, or I'm going on vacation if you can. I know certain parts of the world can't do that right now. Um, you know, I'm just gonna binge watch the OC for the weekend. Like whatever you need to do to recuperate, do it. Don't don't question it, don't feel bad, don't 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 think, oh, well, there's all this work left or this is going to happen or that. No, everything will still be there. Put you first and focus on you. And even after that, if you're still feeling down and low, seek help. There's so many resources out there. We have some of them listed on our site, but there's so many hotlines. And now these hotlines do like texting and messenger. So you don't even have to grab the phone to talk. You can literally in the comfort of your bed, sit there and just chat with someone about what you're going through. I know a big one um, is with suicide and people telling me that I have thoughts of harming myself, but I don't want to get committed. They aren't going to commit you. You know, they do a thorough assessment. If you tell them, hey, I'm having thoughts of harming myself, they're going to talk to you. They're going to walk through with you what your thoughts are. So don't be scared. You're not going to get committed just because you tell someone that you are having thoughts of anything. They, they are trained to help you and they're not just going to shove you into a hospital. Um, and my second is be compassionate, whether you are yourself a mental health warrior or you know a mental health warrior or you are just listening and this is the first time you're hearing about it. Be compassionate because compassion is our biggest tool to make this world a better place. And our warriors are going to feel much more comfortable saying, hey, sir, madam, mom, dad, sister, whatever. I'm not doing well. Please help. Facts. Facts. What do you have to say to people who say, hey, mental health is a first world problem? Like I'm a you know, 13 year old girl in Kabul right now. And, you know, I was forced into a marriage by a much older guy and my country is going into turmoil. I don't have the time to think about mental health. Like you, you guys are in Orange County, you're in Colorado. So you, you, you've kind of like solved most of your physiological needs. So maybe you can think about that stuff. Like mental health is important, but what about people in developing countries in you know remote, remote places of the globe where they don't even have cell signal to, to reach out to someone or access to professionals uh, kind of thing? Mental health, it's important wherever you are and whatever circumstances you are. I know right now in Kabul, things are not great. I know a lot of women are being abused. I know a lot of men are being put in situations that they don't want to be in. And it just finding that even if it's a second, even if it's 30 seconds out of your day, just to take three deep breaths. Do something. I, you you can do something. There there's deep breathing. There's like I'm gonna go take a walk, or I'm gonna you know I know people who in India that said you know I lock myself in the bathroom for five minutes. That's the only time I get me time, and I lock myself in that bathroom and I do deep breathing or meditation. Just find something. I know it's really hard. Um, I know some people who disassociate. They literally you think that they're watching you, but they're not. They're in their own little world. Facts. Facts. Um, speaking about locking you know selves in bathroom like uh, something you brought up earlier about you know Indian girls not allowed to move out till they get married so I guess most people move directly from their parents house to their husband's house like talk to us a little bit about the Indian um 
I would say engagement slash wedding experience, like you're engaged right now. Like what are some of those cultural things I expected? Like I know that the lady's family has to pay like a dowry to the guy's family uh, kind of thing. But, and you know, some of the weddings can go on for days. But what are some of those things that people might not know about either the engagement process, about the uh, wedding process in a typical Indian household? Yeah, so um, I... Kind of broke the rule. Um, so I actually got into a college away from where I live. And that was my ticket to freedom, per se. And that's where I met my fiance. But typically, I have a lot of friends who they went to school from their house. They did not move out. Um, we are not allowed to date. We're not even ta- allowed to talk to guys. Like, Wait, even you're, you're not allowed to date? How do you get married? Oh, I guess, well, <laughs> arranged marriages. Wait, is arranged marriages still a thing? It is a thing. Um, it it's a, they, I mean, I guess they've modernized it a little bit where it's like, okay, so this is, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so meet so-and-so, and you're allowed to go on a chaperone date. But... It it still it still happens. Um, I know all of my Indian friends that live here in the states. None of them have done an arrangement. <laughs> they they have found ways loopholes to keep their relationship on the DL. And then when it comes time to like, hey, you know, you're getting old, like you get married. They're like, oh, I have this friend from college, <laughs> and you know, this nice. friend and I were in bio. <laughs> I mean, the the elaborate stories that I hear. Um, but yeah, like with me, I didn't really have the elaborate story because my parents figured it out through my cell phone bill, but through your cell phone bill. (laughs) Wow. They were really prying into your daughter's life, huh? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Interesting. So, um, I mean, I didn't really needed to have an elaborate plan, but I, you know, when I did graduate and, you know, I was like, okay, I want to get married. They, they weren't expecting it. They were more expecting we're going to go find her a nice, handsome Indian boy, like very Aladdin. Like it's literally <laughs> like Aladdin. Like that's funny. I, you know, we're supposed to stay behind the palace walls and wait for you know Prince Ali to show up. Um, and you know, it. My parents did expect that to happen, so my fiance did have to do the whole like coming here, bringing food and all that fabulous stuff, and does the rituals. Um, we I did have an American proposal, but we have to also have the Indian one where it's like the whole planet shows up and public proposal. Yes, and I think that's so embarrassing. All right. Out of curiosity, is he of Indian descent as well, your fiance? Yes. Um, so we're two different kinds of Indians, though, and two different religious backgrounds. So he is Sikh Punjabi. He's from the, um, if you've seen people that wear turbans. The turban, have, yeah, has a beard. Yes, um, but he doesn't. He does. He's not, um, he doesn't have the beard or the turban, but he's from that culture. And I'm Gujarati. So I'm from, I don't know how to describe us because we don't have any signature, but like we do like Garba. I know Gujaratis, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm Gujarati. So we're, we're, and I'm Hindu. So we're two different religion backgrounds and two different, Indians and we speak two different languages too. <laughs> that's uh I'll like from my perspective, I'll say that's a good thing, but you know, I can see how there can be clashes, you know, in you know, values or things like that, or even family kind of thing. But you know, it is what it is, I guess. If you guys understand each other and like the decided to go on this journey and love each other, then you know, it's it kind of like it is what it is. But well, that's very uh interesting. I mean, uh, how do we wrap this up? I guess um I can say, uh, give our listeners just touching on, on, on mental health and let's bring it closer to home. Let's say uh, a young lady or young man 
who's becoming this adult in quotes, like the person recently married or recently starts a family. That's a whole different set of challenges that cannot, uh, cannot affect your mental health, the person you're being with long term. Like what are some of the ways that you've been able to make your partner understand what is important to you mentally? And what are some of the ways that you guys as a couple are, you know, acting together in order to promote your, you know, mental health as a couple? So for him, it was a huge adjustment. Uh, He doesn't, he claims he doesn't have a mental illness. Um, And so for him, it was very hard to learn to communicate and be very mindful on how he did communicate to me. Um, For example, he's very used to like not texting people right away or you know, waiting three, four days after they texted it or con- called him. And I need a response. Like, I'm that person. I told him, I'm like, we have guidelines. I need a response within 24 hours. Like, I don't care what you're doing. Any response? Why not just call? <laughs> I'm just joking. I would. Go I would ahead. blow up his phone. I would right. literally blow up his phone. And he had to learn, you know, s- certain jokes that he makes would re- I would take very personal. Um, one, one thing that he would always say to me is like, dang girl, you eat a lot. And I would shut down and be like, okay, so I'm not going to eat anymore. Cause that must mean that you think I eat too much or I'm fat. Um, so that, but see, that was my anxiety and my, the whole ruminating of what did he mean by that? Like there had to be a secret message behind it. And so he learned to communicate and being mindful. And then I learned to not jump the gun every single time. So we've learned to kind of figure out each other's way of thinking, um, thought processes, asking one another, like, okay, so what did you mean when you said, dang, you can eat? And he could be like, you could just eat. Like, you know, I wish I could eat like that. <laughs> like, And ju- we've just, it's really trial and error for us. Um, I know with going back to arranged marriages, I know with an arranged marriage, you're marrying a stranger. And if you have a mental illness and that person doesn't know, it's very hard because I I mean, you feel suffocated because it's like, when do I tell you that these are things that are happening in my head and I need you as my husband to kind of help me get through it? So I, I just think communication is big. Compassion and communication, the two C's. All right. Communication, compassion. I can't agree more. I mean, you know, the world just needs to learn to communicate, man. I don't know, like communicate, but, you know, slowly but surely uh, with things like this podcast, as little as it might seem, hey, we might just be, um, you know, changing someone's perspective out there who's listening from wherever. So um, I want to say thank you, um, Daisy Girl, uh, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you taking out time today to come and give us some tips about mental health. I always love doing episodes about mental health. I've had like maybe three or four of them now uh, every now and again because it's such an important topic, especially with immigrant families and, you know, things like that. Um, so, yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, do you want to kind of like drop your email or your website or social media? I want to reach out to you, want to connect with you more. How can they do that? Definitely. Um, so we have a website, which is www.silentwarriorchronicles.net. We also have an Instagram, which is at Silent Warrior Chronicles, and that's our Facebook as well. Um, and if you want to uh, email us, it is reachout.swc at outlook.com. Nice, nice. Appreciate it. And oh, my podcast is turning. I forgot to mention this. Well, we're probably going to be having a bunch of rollouts, but you know, you guys, Culture Class Podcast, it's the same details, Culture Class Podcast on all social media. Use the hashtag Culture Class 150. 
50 as we approach 150 episodes. Uh, the podcast is going to be three years old in a few weeks. So you guys should look out for all the content we're dropping around that. Um, hey, Daisy Girl, as a fellow podcaster, any any advice on the uh, 150 episode three years? I don't know. Like the podcast is starting to take a strain. Like, is there anything you guys do to keep it fresh and stuff like that? Something I can borrow from? Oh my gosh, you've been doing it a lot longer than we have. We should gain tips from you. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely just keeping it fresh. Like, I guess, like, I, I mean, you do an amazing job. I feel super com- comfortable. I was really anxious before this. Um, I was like, oh my God, am I going to do a good job? <laughs> but I, I think you're doing an amazing job. I love what you're doing, where you bring on people to talk about different cultures. And I mean, it's so educational. And we definitely want you on our platform because, again, SWC is ran by two women who were raised by immigrant parents and we'd love to have you to talk to us about your experience so um just keep doing what you're doing you're doing an amazing job oh most and congratulations def- oh thank you thank you so much i'm most definitely like let, let me jump on your podcast and talk about the pressure of being a man's man uh, about being nigerian as well that's a whole topic on its own brings out its own mental health challenges but yeah anytime like we'll, we'll definitely connect off air but thanks again for coming on the podcast and to you guys listening uh till next episode be well